I think it's important to be guided by a sense of purpose and direction. It doesn't mean that you have to be dogged about staying on that path if circumstances change and it makes sense to redirect. But I think you just have to have a, a vision and a goal. I'm Adam Connors from NetworkWise and your host of Who's Who in HR. Ask any successful CEO about the most important aspect of their company and they'll inevitably answer their people. And who is it that's responsible for their people? It's human resources. In fact, HR is the backbone of any elite organization. They attract, develop, and engage top talent, progress culture, secure and manage important benefit programs, make sure you're appropriately paid, protect the best interest of each employee and the company, and so much more that quite frankly often gets taken for granted. On Who's Who in HR, I'll have in-depth discussions with well-known human resource leaders who offer insights into who they are, how they got there, and the areas they support. During our conversation, these leaders will reveal beneficial industry advice and innovative trends in the HR space that's contributing to keeping the world's most successful companies at the top of their game. Today's guest, Christina Hermann has worked as a C-level executive in human resources for the past decade and is no stranger to making tough decisions. In times where an organization has to consider layoffs, Christina's multi-step process approaches the undertaking of a RIF with support and compassion. We'll dive into her process as well as discuss what questions need to be asked of leadership in these situations and how to handle the task of letting people go. Christina Herman, welcome to the show. How are you today? Thank you. I am great. I am great, thanks. How are you? Outstanding, but working on getting better. Yes, I love it. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> oh, me too. So, Christina, if you don't mind, for those that don't know who you are, do you mind uh, giving a little bit of background on, on who you are and what you're doing these days? Sure. I'm a C-level HR executive, have been in this capacity for the past 12 years within the legal industry, I've worked outside of the legal industry a bit, but still professional services. It was consulting and absolutely love the work that I do. What is it that you love about what you do? I love a couple of things. The variety. I, I'm a true generalist. So I have my full remit is all personnel and anything that touches the employment life cycle of all personnel. So I, I love the full remit and just the variety of it, the ability to, on one day I'm working on a benefits issue, on another day I'm working on a professional development issue, another perhaps a disciplinary issue. So I love that variety that I get from my job. And what about the variety? Because in, in the spirit of variety, you've worked for different size organizations. Do I have. You, are, are you partial to one or the other? It's interesting. You get a different feel from the different sizes of organizations. The smaller the organization, you have a deeper dive into uh, particular areas. The larger the organization, the impact that you can make is truly substantial. And I would say especially rewarding. Yeah. So I want to give the listeners a better feel for who you are as a person. And then once we do that, then we can get to get under the hood and kind of sure. talk about some subject matter expertise. What do you say we go with a little rapid fire questions? 
Sounds good. Let's do it. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, So I know you're a runner. You prefer to uh, run around a big city or a country trail? Country trail for sure. I love just the scenery, the solitude, and also the sounds of nature, which can be really quiet, but also you can get like these little tidbits of sound that come through. So I definitely country roads. Interesting. So I guess when you run, no headphones for you. No headphones. No, gosh, I, I, I see these people running in headphones. It's like, take them off and take in your surroundings as opposed to being like immersed in, in something pounding into your head. Oh my God. I, I need something pounding into my head to know the pain <laughs> of all of the running. <laughs> um, you see your glasses half empty or half full? Oh gosh. I see my glass as three quarters full because I truly see opportunity where none is apparent. I'm ever the optimist. And so I can see things that others can't. I can envision things that others can't. So three quarters full. Love that. I I had somebody uh, just in a conversation during a conversation, I asked them that same question and they said, I don't see it as either. I said, okay. They said, I see it as an opportunity to be refilled. I was like, oh, I like that. That's like taking optimism to the next level. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, Any habits that you have that are good, bad, or indifferent that you care to share with us all? Yeah. I really am very religious about planning. And so I sometimes refer to myself as a calendar head. Like I plan things out on a weekly basis, monthly, yearly, and always at least am working on a three to five year plan. And so I think it's important to be guided by a sense of purpose and direction. It doesn't mean that you have to be dogged about staying on that path if circumstances change and it makes sense to redirect. But I think you just have to have a a vision and a goal. Have you ever done like vision boards or things like that? I haven't done that, no, but I really have done some pretty extensive planning where I break things out into various buckets and decide sort of where I'm going to be at this particular time within this bucket. I guess that's similar to a vision board. <laughs> what about, are you, like how granular is your planning? And, and do you follow any formal methods, whether it's like GTD, the getting things done, or there's something called RPM. I mean, there's all the different styles out there. I devised my own. It started from the old school day timers <laughs> and, and putting things into into like the, the day timer format, but then went beyond that. And I do literally have a box of three by five cards where I have annual goals, monthly goals, and multiple year goals that I keep track of. And for me, there's like great satisfaction in checking things off (laughs) and having reached a milestone that's going to take me to a new level. So I do, I cross-reference my old day timer with my three by five cards. And I also maintain some of the information electronically, but most of it is frankly manual. And are you a visual learner? I am. Yeah. Yeah. Feeling of that. Interesting. So tell me something that most people just don't know about you. (laughs) That I am a complete and total British detective series junkie. Like I watch Midsummer. Midsummer Murders, Inspector Morse, Inspector Lewis, Endeavor. My all-time favorite is Poirot. I love it. (laughs) (laughs) That's interesting. And tell me the last thing that made you laugh. My husband. 
So he, his, his birthday was a couple weeks ago and I bought him a pair of pants and he put on the pants and was like coming out to model them for me. And he did like this total catwalk thing, which like we've been married for 10 years. I've never seen that side of him. Like I've never <laughs> seen him. <laughs> and I just cracked up. You probably wouldn't want me telling anybody this. Yeah. <laughs> we'll just keep it our little secret. <laughs> yes. Oh, man. So You've got such an interesting background. You obviously have a passion for what you do. Do you have a passion for all facets of your business, like in in the world of HR? Are there anything? I I do. Yeah. Yeah, I I do because I like taking the global view. One of my areas of expertise really is organizational design and leading transformational change. And I think you can't do that if you don't take the global view Mm -hmm. and sort of assess what's working and what's not in an organization and then making improvements so that things are streamlined. And you can't do that if you don't have a passion for all pieces of the organization and the ability to take that global view. Okay, that's fair. So let me ask you this. Having been through, you've grown a number of businesses throughout your career. Have you Mm -hmm. had to deal with layoffs not just necessarily like a one-off, but possibly a group of people. Have you ever gone through a riff? I have, yes. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, I have. And it really is not a fun thing to go through. But sometimes it's a necessary thing to go through. And particularly in these days, it becomes something that organizations have to consider. Can you walk me through the process? Like, What, sure. what are the steps that you've got to take? And I, I know that there sure. are a number of them, everything from the, the top all the yeah. way down through the day that the person has been uh, terminated or released or whatever the terminology is that you... Yes, yes. So there are multiple steps and it's a long and arduous process. So essentially, if, if you are undertaking a RIF, it's because it's clear that the personnel levels within your organization outnumber the needs for the of the organization to run efficiently and as a profitable business. And so you essentially have more personnel than you need. So you have to first conduct an assessment of what the business needs are and then make a determination, okay, these are the business needs. So what are the appropriate staffing levels for these business needs? And when you determine that your staffing levels are too high, then you go, that's kind of the broad view. Mm -hmm. Then you go to the business unit view. So you have to look at each business unit, finance, marketing, IT, et cetera, and say, okay, within this business unit, are the staffing levels appropriate? You could be overstaffed in finance, but understaffed in IT. So you go, the next level down is, is the business unit. Once you make a determination within the business unit that you are overstaffed, then you have to go to another level, which is called your decisional unit. And within your decisional unit, what you are looking at is job classification. So again, let's just stay with finance, that we have way too many financial analysts than what we need. And once you make that determination on the position or the decisional unit, uh, sorry if this is getting too technical. No, 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 this is good. Then you go to the next level of, okay, 
how are we going to make the determination as to, we know that we're overstaffed here. How do we make the determination as to how we make cuts? And so then you just sort of develop your criteria. What we need in our organization to move forward is this particular skill, this particular performance, and you just kind of go down the list, establish what your criteria is, and then you apply it to the people within that decisional unit. If you find that you have, like you've set your criteria and you have two similarly situated individuals who both meet that criteria, but you only need one, then the next layer is to look at what's going to be the tiebreaker. Will it be seniority? Will it be performance? You have to have some criteria that's going to make the determination as to which of those individuals ultimately is going to be the person that you separate from the firm. So a whole process, this really is a decision tree that starts globally with the organization, works its way down granularly to the individual people within um, the organization, within the business unit. And what are the questions that you need to ask leadership before rolling this out? Is there another viable alternative? RIF really should be your option of last resort. So you want to ask, can we, for example, make cuts? Can we change production and save money and making cuts that way? Or can we offer an early retirement plan program that will allow people to self-select? It has to be attractive enough that people will want to buy into it, but then you can reduce your headcount with it being internal selection process as opposed to imposing it on individuals. Interesting. So what happens is, I guess, at the top, the company realizes, as a, and this is, I'm generalizing, as a rule, sure. like, oh man, we, we need to make cuts. And then the first step is to think yeah. about, okay, again, self-selection, that's the easy one. Maybe we can save enough money there. And then it kind of rolls down. Is that kind of the, the thinking? But you may not even go to that route of self-selection. You may realize, you know what, in order to right-size the business, we can't rely on self-selection. We really need to take some proactive steps. Okay. So that's an alternative if it is a situation that you don't have to make as many drastic cuts, but that's an alternative that you take if you have the luxury, so to speak, to do that. Sometimes you don't have that luxury. Sometimes it's very clear that because of the change in economy, because of a turn in business, you simply do not need the same level of workforce that you've had in the past. Yeah. And then, and how long does something like this, do you have the luxury of a certain amount of time to be able to roll this thing out? No, No. it's... If you do it right and do it well, it's a several months process. What you're deciding sort of after. So I would say three to three months is a fast process. If you have the luxury, you may extend it to six months. But if you're doing it in less time than that, then you're skipping some steps along the way and you're running the risk of not doing it as uh, the word I would like to use as elegantly as possible and, and sensitively as possible. You want to make sure that you are considering what severance you are going to offer people, what sort of support you are going to offer people. You also have to really be uh, planful about how you set up notifications. 
I like to have notification teams. It, it depends on the number of people that are going to be impacted, but I like having notification teams where you have two people notifying the individual because you want to make sure, number one, that there's a witness, but also if there are questions, you have two people to bounce them off of. And then I like also to follow up the notification teams with a follow-up caller. So you have just impacted someone's livelihood and you want to show a degree of compassion and help them through the transition. And so I like having a follow-up caller who's able to do that. That's a great idea. And and how do you handle it? It's so delicate where when people are laid off, they just got to go and they yeah, can't, you can't really make it personal. So how do you handle that? Do you bring a box into the room or do you like, how do you do it discreetly? End of you day, do. Early morning? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So my methodology is to have it as well coordinated as possible, close in time as possible. If you have multiple individuals and starting first thing in the morning and you have, again, you have two people who are the notification teams. The one will be someone who is an HR professional the other will be someone who is close in work relationship with that individual, supervisor, manager, someone who knows that person's work personally. And you make the meeting as fast as possible without making the person feel rushed. You don't want it to linger. And the person is in shock in any case. So they don't really necessarily want it to linger either. But when you have a meeting lasting for a long time, you run the risk of emotions flaring up and then the meeting itself getting out of hand. So you do want to move it along as quickly as possible, delivering the information in a compassionate way, but also being supportive. Yeah. And, then, and then how how are you trained to do this? Because this is emotionally really tough. And I, I don't really know if you is. know this, but a lot of counselors and social workers, they say the average psychologist has two psychologists to kind of, because there's yeah. so many, <laughs> it's, it's true. It's not like a joke that there's a, they're hearing so many problems and issues and they need an outlet for yeah. that. Um, so I don't know. Like, yeah. So, so who's training you? And then when you're done doing one of these riffs, is there someone that you turn to, or does the organization help you, um, with any kind of like mental support. And and if it's too personal, don't feel, you know, feel free to not you know, pass on. No, that. it's not too personal. I will tell you somehow constitutionally, I'm able to do this work. I think I have the right personality for it because I do have the compassion. And I also have an outlet. Then I go find a country road to run on. <laughs> <laughs> That's my outlet. But the other piece of it for me is I never execute one of these initiatives without feeling that I have explored every other possibility. And when I'm at the point of actually delivering the news, I feel comfortable that this is the right thing for the organization. The person obviously is being impacted and you have to be compassionate about that, but you do have to think in terms of the health of the organization and making the right business decision. Gotcha. Any thoughts on the day of the week? Any thoughts on like, is, is, and also, is there a rule of thumb? I think it used to be two weeks for every year of service. So all those things still apply or is that just? Yeah, well, it, it certainly is case by case and it is organization by organization. Some organizations are more generous than others, but that's typically a rule of thumb. I do not like doing it on a Friday afternoon. I know, you know, there had been <laughs> a school of thought that you 
terminate people on Friday afternoon. I think that's the worst thing to do because you're sending them into the weekend with bad news. I actually like to do it early in the week to allow people to digest it and come back to you with questions and come back to you and you go back to them and have a conversation. If you do it on a Friday afternoon, you're likely not going to be around and available on the weekend to have a conversation. But if you do it early in the week, then you can go back uh, to the individual or the individual can come to you and, and have a conversation. I think that's great advice. And I agree with that. So who are all the different individuals or parties that you have to coordinate in order to roll out uh, a RIF? Sure. Multiple stakeholders. You have to involve an employment lawyer and general counsel because you have to be aware of all the legalities, If, as particularly when you are offering a severance. You have to, with a separation agreement, and so you want to make sure that you are including all legalities in the separation agreement. The other thing that you do is an impact analysis and make sure that there's no disparate impact on any particular group. Once you have established all of these criteria, if when you look at the eventual pool of individuals who are going to be separated and you find they're all minorities, then you need to go back to your criteria and say, hey, maybe we did something wrong in making this selection. So that's something that general counsel will ask you to be particularly aware of is whether or not there's a disparate impact on the individuals um, that you are separating from the organization. Business units have to be involved because they have to make the determination as to what their staffing levels should be. Also, even prior to making that determination, they have to look at their workflow and make sure that they have designed it efficiently and appropriately so that they are making um, the right decisions in terms of numbers to separate. Finances involved, you need to look at the impact of your severance that you are going to be awarding, but also the financial impact that brought you to this point in the first place. You've already made the determination that you are overstaffed. And so where do you need to get to, you know, what point do you need to reach so that the organization is not overstaffed, so that you are running efficiently? And then, of course, HR is driving the whole initiative just to make sure that you're applying appropriate criteria and that the method that you're using itself is very fair and, and compassionate. Yeah. And then do you bring in, like you, you mentioned, bringing in two people during to have this kind of conversation? Is the other person that you're bringing in the person's direct manager or do you, or if it's not a direct manager, are you sensitive to the fact that, I don't know if it's a black male that you will bring in another black male. So there's no, they don't feel that there's any kind of discrimination that's happening. What, what are the things that you're doing to protect yourself? No, I really don't think about demographics at all because in that moment, that's not what someone is thinking about. They're thinking about the fact that they're losing their job and they want to know why. So you need the two individuals that you need to have are one person who is in HR and one person who is either their direct manager, supervisor, or someone within their business unit. So if the direct manager is not available, then maybe the manager's manager is someone. It has to be someone who understands the work that they do and understands um, what their performance has been. Because typically someone's going to ask, 
about their job. Well, I did this well, why am I being selected? And so you want someone who's conversant on the work that they do and the the business unit itself. Yeah, I can see that being important. <laughs> and then how do you, again, a lot of people, letting people go is a really difficult thing to do. What yeah, kind of is. prep work, if any, do you provide to the person that's joining that meeting? You know what? <laughs> the funniest thing is that person is typically silent. They're, they're, they're usually dumbstruck by the whole process and don't always want to be there. And they're just kind of providing moral support, if you will. So my instructions to them is that you are here to provide support and answer any specific questions that they may have about the work itself. Other than that, frankly, you remain silent because I want the HR person doing most of the talking. So they are just kind of moral support and a familiar face because typically the individual who is being separated hasn't had much interaction, if any, with the HR person that's going to be in the room. And so you don't want absolute strangers having this conversation. You want someone who is the authority, that's the HR person, and then someone who has familiarity with, if not that individual's work, then certainly the work within that individual's business unit. That's such a great point. And by the way, every time I'm thinking about asking you a question, you, prior to doing that, you like you give the answer <laughs> before I've asked the question. I'm <laughs> anticipating. Yeah, yeah so that's really good. <laughs> yeah, you've got this good intuitive side to you. Nice work. I get it. Um, and, and that's because that's super important. And that's been a problem that a lot of people complain about is just the coldness of the riff because a lot of right. times, a lot of people I know that have been caught off guard because sometimes that just it just happens right and then then that brings up that animosity so I think there's a lot to be said about right doing it on a Monday giving people to kind of digest it to be able to answer yes. the questions providing having other people there there, there I, I think that a lot goes I think that can really soften the blow as much as possible when doing it does it. what about like ancillary services or outplacement? Is that something, are you a fan of that? And if so, is that something that's usually oh, for coordinated? Sure. With, yeah. Yes, most definitely. So we always, I have always given outplacement services to help the person with the transition and the degree and, and length of the services is dependent on the level of the person. It will range from three to six months, but Lee Hecht Harrison, right management are, are two that come to mind as outplacement services that we've used in the past. The other is employee assistance uh, programs. We do encourage people because that's a counseling service and we encourage people to reach out to the EAP. They still have the eligibility for EAP for a certain duration. And so if they need to have counseling separate and apart from making a transition to another job, but just because of the life impact, um, then we provide that support as well. That's great. That is, uh, ever had any tough situations where people didn't handle it well? I have. I think that's, I'm sure some people that are listening would love to hear what you did, what happened and how did you handle that? Yeah, I've had individuals who were very angry and they took out their anger on me and were very combative and very just mad at the world. And so when I have a situation like that, what I do 
is try to truncate the conversation because the more you engage with an individual, the more they are going to escalate. Nothing that you say is going to satisfy them and you do run the risk of them starting to act out. And so what I will say is something like, I appreciate how this is impacting you. I know that this is an emotional time. Why don't you just take these materials and call me back or come back and have a conversation with me when you are less emotional? And essentially, I will cut the conversation and not let it go on for much longer. Yeah, that's tough. I can't hear yeah. it. But again, that's again, it's important to, and then, then who trained you on this? Like, how did you know? How do you know how to handle these situations? Gosh, Is this I, trial by fire or were you trained? To some extent, I, I do have a background in psychology and I guess I just have had training along the way. It, it's interesting. I will continue to say it's fairly innate for me because I do have the sensitivity and and appreciation for impact on human lives. And so it is fairly innate, but I I think my background in psychology helps as well as I I can't even at this moment think of training that I had particular to this, but I must have along the way. Yeah. I mean, you sound pretty seasoned in this area. I I just looked at the time. I I had so many other questions. Let me ask you, Let me ask you maybe one or two more before I let you go. Is that all right? Sure. Yeah. All right. I'm, the... I'm here as long as you need me. <laughs> all right. <laughs> uh, what was the best advice that someone ever gave you? I would say it, it, it was advice that wasn't directed to me in particular, but it was advice that I internalized. And it was, so I'm from Michigan, (laughs) big Michigan sports fan. And this was Steve Fisher, who is the basketball, was the basketball coach for uh, the Wolverines of Fab Five fame. And (laughs) yes, and he said to his team, I I was listening to uh, an interview. He said, if you are not 10 minutes early to practice, then you are already late. And I I have internalized that. I love it. I love it because timeliness is so important. I mean, it goes to your being prepared. It goes to respect. People who show up at a meeting late are not respectful of the meeting organizer, nor are they respectful of the people who are there. And so I've just internalized that and have carried that with me. I absolutely love that. I'm going to write that down and I'm going to use that. And I'll probably give you a footnote first. (laughs) But uh, no, I think that's great. I always say it's better to be an hour early than a minute late. And I had a a girlfriend in, in, uh, God, I forgot if it was high school or college. Anyway, her mother or her best friend's mother, which Uh she used to do, is she would send doctor's bills instead of having Uh them because if they kept her late, that was oh. because they were not respectful. Of oh, the wow. And, and, her billing, <laughs> right. and her billing hour was a lot more than theirs. Yeah. So yeah. <laughs> if they kept her, she was a, a high impact CEO. And uh, if they ever kept her uh-huh. late, she would, and she said, they'll sue me. She's, she didn't lose. Yeah. Um, wow. Yeah. Wow. So, I, I mean, it's a little bit of a different topic, but it's kind of the same. It's just, again, being respectful yeah. of other people's time. I absolutely love that. Yeah. Oh, Christina, this was great. I had so many other questions. Maybe this begs to have you come back because uh, there's still so much more. I would love to. All right. I would love to. (laughs) Well, I appreciate you (laughs) making it today, coming on the show, and I hope you have enjoyed the rest of your day. Many thanks for listening to Who's Who in HR. 
If you're looking to connect with more top-level HR professionals, be sure to log on to NetworkWise.com to find out how you could be part of an HR mastermind group. Also, subscribe to our newsletter to stay up to date on everything happening with NetworkWise. In the interim, make it a great day and remember to always network wise.